When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hoop Du Jour with moi, Peter Vesey, presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. So here I am, mm-hmm. not exactly sure why it took so long to get my podcast going. It was down to me and O.J. Simpson, the only ones who did not have a podcast, and I fe- felt it was time for me to beat him out at least. So I'm going to be with uh, Frank Drucker, my column castigator for many years at the New York Post and the NBC and whatever. And uh, and we're going to – our first guest today is going to be Julia Serving, and we're going to bring him in on in a second. But first, uh, you know, I'm going to ask Frank, like, Frank, why, why did we come out of hibernation or off community service or out of the closet? Why are we here? Well, first things first, this is going to cost me some money because I actually bet out on OJ. <laughs> to, uh, to have, to have the, the podcast before you and I did. Why are we here? Well, as we as we discussed before, I think it's to connect and reconnect uh, not only the the longtime NBA fan, but hopefully the new NBA fan with some of the greats of the game. I mean, the NBA is it, it's year seventy five, so it's it's a hell of a milestone season for them, and and the legacy of the NBA. Um, is tremendous, and especially in this era when the average fan uh, goes online and figures the league started about 14 minutes ago. There are just tremendous players with tremendous stories, and even if you know the player, you don't necessarily know the story. And that is that is our hope, uh, I would think, uh, in this series. Now, why the good doctor? Uh, again, Hall of Famer, ABA All-Star. NBA All-Star, uh, All-Star every, Hall of Famer, uh, obviously, All-Star every year he was in either league, made the playoffs every year he was in either league, three-time champion, and more importantly, and for reasons I can't figure out, he associates with you. Thank you. That, that's, that was great. That was good. I, not, not the way we scripted it, of course, but uh, he's tolerant of me, and I, and I really don't understand it myself, but I could no, ask you. Does. You, you could ask me the same question about you, but, but we're going to move on from that. So before we bring Doc on, I just want to go through our relationship a little bit because I don't want to get bogged down no. talking to and, him. And about- I, 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 was, I would be remiss if I didn't say, uh, all, all kidding aside, which is rare for either one of us, uh, the relationship between you and Julius uh, is probably as, as strong and as deep as the relationship with you and and anyone that you've covered in, in, in all the time throughout both leagues. Right. And and the, the many reasons why he's my first guest is I when I asked him to be my first guest, he said, of, of course, I'm going to be your first guest. <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, I was your best man at your wedding. You know, mm-hmm. I was there at the Rucker when we both started and uh, when he came out of UMass after his junior year. Uh, we, we were together in the ABA when he was with the Squires, the Nets. 
And then, and then in Philly, made a lot of trips to Philly to see him play down there. So, so our relationship goes, goes an awful long way. And, um, so, so he, he obviously had to be the first guest and, uh, I, I, I'm going to bring him on now and, uh, we're going to pick it up in the beginning at the Rucker. Julius, come on board. Hey guys. Hi Doc, how are you? And I'm good. I'm Doc, good. Doc, this is the first, this is the first time that we've sat down in our, in our whole relationship that dates back to 1970 when you didn't have to pick up the check for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, oh, today I, is still young. But eat this time. <laughs> <laughs> Doc, Doc was just famous for, I mean, after games, I don't care where we were, he, he would have like 15 people at the table. You know, I remember in New York hmm. often, and we were always give a place that, uh, so nobody would know about it. We, we would have a, a secret place to meet for dinner, and, and it didn't matter. We couldn't get rid of Charlie Polk. Do you remember that? That was Wilt's guy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that, that, there, was, there was a time, and, you know, you, you're always rewarded when you're, when you're generous. It's, it's funny, you know. I, I find when I empty my pockets, you know, I make a turn, left turn, right turn, and then there's an opportunity there to, fill them back up. Not that they got too full, you know, or too empty, but, you know, it just seemed as though it was a, a pattern that is, there's this little rotation and maybe, maybe it's one of God's jokes, you know, in terms of how <laughs> universe works. I, 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 I've been out with many athletes and you're the only one that always picked up the check. I remember going with the Celtics in 86 on the road with them in California yeah. and, oh no, the whole West coast. And I'd go out to eat with Bird and, and, and uh, you know, Carlisle and Seasting and Walton. And everybody went to their pocket afterward. <laughs> Nobody was picking up that check. But, like, Doc, let me, let me, let me go on. Because, you know, we don't, we don't, we got so much territory to cover. And I don't want to get bogged down talking about, you know, silly meals and stuff like that. So um, I, I first got in contact with you when you were a sophomore at UMass. I did a a story on you. I called you out of the blue and did a story on you for the Daily News. And then in junior year, I, I'm, I'm not sure which year you came into the NIT. Was that sophomore year or junior year? Both years. Both years. Okay. So then when you came in, I did a, another story on you. And then so that's how our relationship began, just me writing about you. I remember the, the headline, one of the headlines was, Julius Irving has the gift of grab because <laughs> you because you were – one of the, I don't know, five, six players in the history of the NCAA that averaged 2020. Uh, you did it for the two years you played, I believe, yeah, right? I did. Uh, freshman year, we uh, we couldn't play varsity. Right. Football, and I had a, had a uh, guy from Long Island mm -hmm. named Rick Vogley, who actually was the leading scorer on our, on our freshman basketball team that, that had an undefeated season, went 17-0. And that was probably the last time I played on a team when I wasn't the leading scorer. <laughs> what happened to him? Uh, you know, he got into uh, medical uh, business. And uh, as a matter of fact, when my mom was a senior and, and, and needed something, he sent her a, a nice uh, chair that she could sleep in that converted to a bed. So, you know, we stayed in touch with each other over the years. 
And back in October uh, for homecoming, you know, I was with all my teammates from UMass and, and Rick was on the phone as, as one of them. And of course, you know, he reminded me of his generosity. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but I haven't always been on the giving end. I've been on the receiving end as well. Yeah, definitely. So, so Doc, so you, you come out of UMass after your junior year. You were signed with the Squires, Virginia Squires, ABA. Mm-hmm. And you and I actually showed up at Rucker Park for the first time for both of us on the same day. Mm-hmm. And I remember, well, I want to know what you remember about that. And also, once you immediately, you, you immediately caught on, you, 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 everybody, once they knew you were playing at Rucker Park or indoors because of the rain, the place would be packed, as we've seen the photos. Mm-hmm. I want to well, know. You, know you, you, you caught on, too. You were a player coach. Remember? Right. Right. Oh yeah, uh, I, I kind of, yeah. I kind of remember that, and I, and I uh, and, I, and I was a great coach because every time out I called, I said, "Hey, I said give the ball to Julius during the timeout." That was my play, and then Lockery stole the play with the Nets, and every time out he called, he'd say, "Give it to Julius." That was my play. There were <laughs> See, a lot of ice. We we call it isolation Arizona, whatever reason. Right? I was like being on a planet by yourself. <laughs> And uh, standing over there, four guys on the other side of the court. Uh, I don't think everybody was too happy with that. I know Brian Taylor wasn't all that happy with that. <laughs> to this day. But, the, but, but Doc, but, what did you think about the, the reaction, your reaction to the reaction of the fans in Harlem? Yeah. No, it was phenomenal. It, it, it would be remiss not to say uh, that the the reaction was uh, grand and spontaneous, and you know, brought brought happiness to a lot of people. And I, Peter, honestly, saying I thought they were cheering for everybody, you know, <laughs> not just for me. And they probably were cheering for everybody, you know, because there were so many guys, you know, from the ABA and the NBA, uh, Ali Taylor, Billy Paltz, and 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 uh, you know, guys who played with me with the Nets. Uh, and obviously, you know, Willis uh, was there and Hawthorne. Charlie Wendell. Scott. Charlie, you know, Charlie, yeah, Charlie, you know, Charlie was, uh, we were on the same team. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was sort of a, uh, a sign of what to, what was to come uh, with Virginia. Cause you know, Charlie, you know, Charlie liked to put it up and he was, he's such a, a flashy player and, you know, and he knew all those guys that I had to, I had to learn the roster. I mean, I had to, I had to feel my way around and, you know, just kind of learn because the first time I played in the Rucker was, you know, when I went there with you and uh, it was after my college career was over. And before that, I mean, I had played basketball in New York city, but I hadn't played in the Rucker league. You know, I played over in Brooklyn and played in the Bronx and, you know, played the different boroughs, played in Queens a lot. And, but mostly it was Nassau County. So, uh, so it was a little bit of a coming out party, and I and I think uh, my my development uh, was accelerated uh, by playing there and playing, you know, freelance freestyle basketball as opposed to, you know, the disciplines that we had um, at UMass. And even though we were a high scoring team, we would score 80, 90 points, went over hundred a few times uh, while in college. Um, you know, well, let me, was, Doc, let was, me let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you because people don't realize, a lot of people don't realize that in college in those days, you were not allowed to dunk. 
not even not even in not even on the layup line before a game it was a technical foul so when you came to the rucker and started dunking on people maybe two at a time maybe three at a time people <laughs> people were astounded you know you you laugh but it, I, I saw it i saw you dunk on two guys taking off from the foul line i saw that and that was the first time i saw you dunk and i, I my my assistant coach butch purcell my co-coach I mean, we just went ballistic. What was that? So what was it like for you to show that you could dunk? Well, you know, the dunk was taken out of the game. It was uh, my first, my sophomore year, you could dunk in the warm-ups. Oh, you could. You could dunk in the game. And then junior year, no, not in the warm-ups, not during the game. It was a technical foul. Anybody dunking the ball or even touching the rim, uh, you know, on a layup, or whatever, they would assess you a technical foul. And they were trying to neutralize Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and they made him such a, be a better player. Right. You know, sure left him alone. <laughs> developed this guy. They sure left him alone. <laughs> um, and, and he was phenomenal. So for me, you know, at 6'6", six, six, I don't. I don't know. I, I I got into this thing, and and with Ollie Taylor, who was on our team, who you know had a fifty inch vertical or whatever, and you know he could fly, and and I could fly, and we had you know we had some other guys who who were leapers. Uh, so I, I thought that um, I remember remember Mark Marquette's guy helicopter. Yeah, helicopter Cobb was it? Uh, yeah, Cobb. yeah, Cobb. Yeah, they call him the helicopter. You know. Yeah. So you know, it was just like you know, just, the guy just stand there and he just jump and it looked like he just kept going or whatever. So I said, I'm not gonna go in there and try to flip it up around him. He's gonna smack it up into the stands. Right. So you know, I learned how to you know go aggressively and you know quick dunk people. And we started expanding, having these little contests about how far, how far out you were away from the basket when you took off. And, you know, not that you got extra points for that, but you got extra points psychologically. Right. You, know, you right. could take off from pretty, from pretty far out. And, um, you know, it, it just became a part of my game. Um, you know, you always used to tease me and say, well, you keep dunking the ball. You're not going to ever have a jump shot. But, you know. I was a scorer, so I found found ways to score. <laughs> and those thirty thousand points came from more than just dunks. <laughs> what yes, you call yes, it, sir? Doc used to tease about the Springer. <laughs> yeah, the Springer. That's I, I Springer. stole a lot of my language that I used in my column from from stuff that you gave me, like calling a, a jump shot a Springer, stuff like that. But Doc, do you have one particular highlight in the Rucker before we move on to the ABA? Is there anything stand out? Well, for me, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of this guy's name. Big, burly, brown-skinned guy. Uh, uh, he, I think he had a term time with the Knicks, and he went on the radio afterwards. He was on, on a radio station, um, a music. Uh, he was like a DJ or whatever. But anyway. Yeah, I know who you, you know. He, yeah. he, he played at Boys yeah, High. Yeah, he played, he played yeah, a boy yeah. yeah. Big guy, big guy, man. He jumped to block my shot, and I, you know, I mean, I felt his fingers getting crushed as I went in and, you know, put the ball against his fingers, 
and he was backed up against the rim. And, you know, he was, I mean, I, I felt so bad. It was just like this, this, I never had this feeling before, you know, but when you break somebody's finger or even cause harm, bodily harm to another individual, there's something that goes on in your body. And I, and I knew this and, and I had, you know, I just made a play and it was basketball and it was a pure basketball play on his part and on my part. I, he came away with a couple of broken fingers. I remember the play. I remember the, I remember the situation. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was, he played at Archbishop Carroll with John Thompson in high yeah. school. Yeah. And then he played in the NBA and he's still around. He's still, he's yeah. made up a different story about all that, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, there's, there's, there's the his story, his side, my side, and then there's the truth, right? It's like it's like when we played when we played the local team, you know, and it was one of maybe the best the best game in Rucker history, mm. and uh, they had they had Joe Hammond and they had Pee Wee Kirkland and a bunch of other guys, yeah. and they took us into overtime, and then all of a sudden, and then we beat them in overtime. Charlie Scott had a great overtime, and we won, and. Uh, over the years, they won. <laughs> not only not only did they win over the years, but <laughs> Joe showed up at halftime. Yeah, right. Joe showed up at halftime. 50 in the second half. <laughs> Against you. It was on me. Once once I once I surpassed Charlie status wise as a pro. Because before it was you got 50 on Charlie. <laughs> Yeah. And then when I kind of surpassed Charlie, then he got 50 on Doc. Right. <laughs> and he showed up at halftime. Right. So, uh, you know, it's crazy. Is that the guy, some guy wrote a book about the uh, the asphalt jungle or whatever, and, and he, he continued that myth, no matter you and I both quoting, no, wrong. He did not win. He did not win. We won. And, uh, and, the New and he's with the New York Times also. He wrote it in the Times how many times? And uh, so over the years, the myth, the myth has continued. Yeah, that's okay. You know. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm okay with it, man. I'm, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Where did I write my book? I'm going to kill this a guy. Dead. <laughs> this is dead. <laughs> I'm going to remember his name when I write the book. Uh, so, so, Doc, let's, let's, go, let's go to the Virginia Squires real fast. Now, when you were playing at the Rucker, I made a phone call to the owner of the Squires, Earl Foreman, and I said to him, do you have any idea what kind of player that you signed to play for you? And he said, well, you know, Johnny Kerr, who was, was the guy who was right out front, you know, you know getting you, drafting you, uh, signing you. Al Bianchi was the coach. Well, they tell me he's really good. I said, no, no, Earl. You have no idea how good he is. Wait till you see what he's what he can do. And Earl, and Earl goes, and then he told me, you know, a couple of weeks later when you went to rookie camp, he goes, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a little story there because, uh, you know, the, the, that summer in the Rucker League, uh, dealing with the uh, announcer who was calling me Houdini and Black Moses and, you know. The claw. Hawk and the claw. Yeah, and all that. So I, I said, you know, I got, I, I already have a nickname, and you know, my friend from high school, I call him the professor, and he called me the doctor. So you can call me the doctor. And so then they started saying the doctor, the doctor this, doctor that, so on and so forth. Right. So now I go to the camp, 
and uh, and we got three people in the organization who go by Doc. <laughs> <laughs> who were they? There's Dr. Mason and there's Dr. somebody else and Doc. <laughs> so uh, Chopper Travellini, he says, well, you, you need to be Dr. J, you know, just to set the record straight. And then the Squires ended up promoting uh, Charlie the Great Scott and Julius Dr. J Irving as the tandem of guys who were, you know, who were destined to be the stars of the team. But even before that, that first training camp, uh, Al, you know, had everybody scrimmaging, and in ABA training camps, you had uh, you had open tryouts. So we had some guys there, you know, who were like stone hoodlums who could play no ball. <laughs> they were like, man. And Chopper was like, Al, you need to take him out because these guys are going to hurt him because he's flying through the air, dunking on him and, you know, grabbing rebounds and I'm, I'm playing my game or whatever. And he's now you need to take him out. So. So I didn't even play a whole lot in training camp until all those guys got cut. Everybody <laughs> got cut. Then he came, you know, me and Willie Sojourner uh, were the rookies. And then we had another, Dana Padgett, uh, we had drafted from Indiana, I believe. Um, and they, those are the two draft picks. Right. I, I had basically just signed a contract in secret in a hotel in Philadelphia with Al Bianchi and Johnny Kerr. So, so Julius, um, that year Charlie Scott led the league in scoring, yeah. right? Your teammate with the Squires, and then the following year he he leaves, he goes to the uh, Phoenix Suns, he jumps leagues, yeah, and and then you become the star of the team, uh, you know, yeah. by yourself, and then you get George Gervin joining you, right, right, right. So, so oh, my point, oh, my no. point is like you played with some unbelievable yeah. superstars. You, you know, you had you had Charlie, you had Gervin, mm -hmm. you you jumped. We're going to talk about this in a second. You you jumped over to Atlanta. Pete Maravich was your was your teammate for two games, two exhibition games. Mm -hmm. You could have signed with Milwaukee. Uh, they had your draft rights. They had Kareem and Oscar. Yeah. And yeah. and then with the Nets, you come to the Nets, and they've got you know Larry Keenan joined you, and you had Super John Williamson. Now this is even before you joined the NBA. You've got you have you with some unbelievable talent. Yeah, yeah. You know it's uh and and in the Rucker League, I mean there were all those guys. You know they they played or showed up. Uh, you know at, at um, you know 155th and 8th Avenue, and uh, you know got their game on and they were saying if you if you play well there you're going to be regarded as as good and you're going to uh it's going to still a certain type of confidence and energy in you and and it and it's something that could travel so uh in off seasons you know Willie Nalls used to put these games together Soulville Foundation and the East West East versus West and Tiny and I would be on the same team uh, which was was always fun to play, you know, with the, with a guard like him, and and actually, you know, that was uh, the move with the Nets when I left. You know, they got him from Kansas City. You know, he had led the league in scoring and assists. And well, they got him. They got him before you left. They got him to compliment you, and uh, I, 
Yeah, well, they got him during the off season. Yeah, to compliment you. And 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 we, that was when we worked the deal out with Philadelphia because right. you know they wouldn't um, restructure my contract. And you know, in those days, I think agents uh, you know had a lot of influence over players, and we figured they knew what was right and what what was uh, the right way to go. And uh, with Irwin Weiner, you know, God rest his soul. Um, I, I've looked back on that many times about going to Philly and or not going to Philly, and uh, and I've, I've second guessed myself. I've second guessed myself because uh, I, I think that that Nets team probably would have been a multiple time champion in the NBA um, by now instead of knocking at the door a couple of times and letting San Antonio take all the titles. I mean, you know, we used to. <laughs> We used to beat San Antonio, <laughs> you know, like they stole right. something. Right. Denver, you know, was the last team we played in the uh, ABA uh, championship. And, you know, they've been a team knocking at the door. Uh, Indiana was good, as you know. So, well, Doc, Doc, the most disappointing thing to me about that whole thing is that I threw away all the shirts that I had with Dr. J and Tiny A on them. I think they're worth a lot of money today. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that was the catchphrase, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Doc, why did, why did you go to Atlanta? Why, what, why was that? And what did they give you to go there? Well, what happened uh, the first year in Virginia, as you know, the, uh, the, the turmoil with uh, Charlie leaving at the end of the season. Um, I had a couple checks bounce. So... The thought was, yeah, this league might fold. Uh, this, you know, franchise doesn't have the uh, the, the economic resources because you know guys were guys were getting their paycheck and running to the bank, <laughs> and and you know so people talked about the ABA in that in that regard, and that was you know kind of disheartening. Uh, so. Irwin being, you know, very aggressive, uh, you know, worked out a deal with, uh, with Atlanta, you know, they paid us a $250,000 bonus and, you know, set me up in a condo for five years, got me a car and said, look, when the, when the contract with Virginia is done, then you're our guy here. You're, you're our player. And that was the condition. And we, uh, we went through the summer, and um, Milwaukee ended up drafting me that year because my class, my college class, graduated. So that was 1972. So you know, I'm out of school for a year. My class graduates. Milwaukee drafts me. Atlanta cries foul. We have him under contract. Uh, he's our player. He's our property. <laughs> and Milwaukee says, "Well, we'll see." And you know, it went to it went to arbitration, and uh, the ruling in arbitration. While it was going to arbitration, Atlanta requested that I come to training camp, and just kind of, you know, they were they were willing to take on Milwaukee, and they were going to take on Virginia, and, and you know, the thing that based on the checks bouncing, they figured there was a breach of the contract in Virginia on on their part, material brief. Uh, material breach. <clears throat> so we were within our rights to, to go to uh, training camp there. 
And I went to training camp. It was Cotton Fitzsimmons and, you know, not only Pete Maravich. They got Lou Hudson, you know, who's a Hall of Famer. They got Walt Bellamy, who's a Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame center and whatever. So they got three, you know, three future Hall of Famers on their team. And they have pretty good uh, supporting cast. So uh, those two exhibition games uh, that I played, you know, we scored a lot of points. It was like 150s. <laughs> we, were, we were running up points. We weren't guarding anybody. We were just running up and down and playing, you know, playground basketball. Uh, uh, the precursor of today. Pete, yeah, the precursor of today in the bubble, right? <laughs> so and Pete was phenomenal to pay, play with. Uh, got to got to know him and like him. And, uh, you know, we were both gym rats. And um, so they shut it down after two games and um, and Milwaukee won the arbitration. <clears throat> so they said, well, if you're going to play in the NBA, then uh, you have to play with the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, once again, Irwin's influence, he said, well, let's just go back to Virginia or whatever, because, uh, you know, wherever you go, I mean, you, you know, you should be the lead guy. And they had uh, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he had Oscar Robertson and, and others. And uh, he didn't like he didn't like the idea of, of me going to Milwaukee. Uh, what about you? Do you regret that, not playing with those two? How many titles would you have won with them? I look back, you know, they won a title, which was Oscar's only title. And, uh, and then, you know, the next year, or two years after, you know, Kareem went to, went to Los Angeles, you know, for four four players. So, yeah, fate would have been different if if I was there, but then fate would have been different for me. I could have been there with an aging Oscar Robertson and no Lou Alcindor. <laughs> so, because uh, he wasn't happy there. Um, obviously, he wasn't happy. That's why he left. But you didn't know that. You didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't have a crystal ball. And, and, you know, this going from, uh, you know, playing basketball for fun to playing basketball as a business, you know, and I write about this in my autobiography or whatever, it's, it's like night and day. I mean, it, it's all business all the time. And I, I was, that's why I was so amazed, you know, when I see Magic Johnson at the beginning of his career and, you know, guys who play with a smile on their face and they look happy all the time or whatever. I mean, this is a, this, it's a rough business. Uh, being out there, you know, and somebody's always out to to get you, take your legs out from under you, uh, you know, physically uh, uh, abuse you, and and I don't I don't know I, I I found that once I'm off the court, then I can smile and laugh and joke, but I would never smile and laugh and joke when I was on the court. It's just not it was just not my introduction to the game, right. So, Doc, you go back. You go back to the Squires, then they end up making a deal for you to go to the Nets, and uh, and then you win two championships. I'm going to breeze through this. I, you know, we we could dwell on it, but you win two championships, and then there's a there's a merger or there's a consolidation, as the NBA likes to call it. Four teams go in there, and and uh, I was told recently. I didn't know this until recently that. Um, the owner, Roy Bowe, had promised your agent, Erwin Wiener, that he would renegotiate the contract if one of two things happened, that the ABA wound up with a national TV contract, 
or there was a merger. Is that the way it happened? Well, that that's that's the story how I heard it and saw it. I wasn't in the room. I wasn't in the room, but uh, there was a commitment to restructure the contract because the contract was, you know, it wasn't the best contract in the league. Uh, certainly the Atlanta contract <laughs> was a lot better. And, you know, just getting a bonus from them and not having to return it. And I didn't have to return the car. I didn't have to return the, uh, the, the apartment. As a matter of fact, my sister and my nephews, you know, moved to Atlanta and occupied it uh, for five years. So, you know, there was there was real money, and then there was <laughs> money that wasn't so real. Right. Whatever. And, and I think it just kind of got into a challenging situation for uh, Mr. Bo. May he rest in peace as well, uh, too. Uh, and put too much of a strain on him because he had signed uh, Tiny Archibald and uh, George Johnson. So he had bought two NBA players over, you know, who were, well, one was, should have been the MVP of the league, and, and the other one was a great shot blocker and, 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 and a defender. And uh, so... And was, the, was a center on the championship Warriors along with Clifford Ray. Yeah. George Johnson, yeah. yeah, yeah, George Johnson. So, um, so you know, so it was, it was, it was a painful situation. Um, the um, just to back up a little bit, George Gervin did come in my second year, and you know we bonded, and he was, you know, he was the heir apparent. Once I left, and he did for Virginia what I had done for Virginia when Charlie left. So there was a lineage there, and. You know, we, we get together and talk about it every now and then. And it's, right. And then they sold him. <laughs> well, he was in the dispersal yeah, of, the, of that franchise because that franchise wasn't going in. So that's how he ended up in San Antonio. Right. But he, they sold Virginia sold him to uh, to the, to San Antonio and the ABA. Yeah. Well, this is starting to sound like slavery, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, I know you were always upset about the, the fact that three, you were three. sold to Philly. My contract was sold to uh, Philadelphia, and then they restructured it, and you know suddenly I became the six million dollar man. The Nets get three, and I get three in a contract. I mean, I get a five year contract uh, at six hundred thousand dollars. But I remember the word you used. You was you were upset that they didn't get players back, and you used the word yeah. chattel. Yeah. I had to go to the dictionary to see what that was. I <laughs> I didn't have Drucker to tell me what it was. I didn't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> he was whispering in the ear, but you weren't listening. <laughs> yeah, he's, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, so, so that whole uh, fiasco was ironed out the way that it was because they said, well, select a couple franchises and we'll make a deal. So we said, well, the Knicks and the Sixers. And, you know, they approached the Knicks about it. And Roy said, well, it's going to kill us if he goes and plays with the Knicks because, uh, you know, we're in the same territory. And, you know, that so that that didn't work out. So Philly was pretty much the only team. So let me let me just stop you, Doc. So it's been written many, many times that the Knicks were the ones that said, no, they they Nets didn't want to pay the, uh, the territorial money, which was what, three point two million or something. And the story that's been written, and I again, I I never wrote it. I didn't know it. 
mm-hmm. but it's been written that they turned it down. So you're saying that Bo turned it down and decided to do, do Philly. Yeah, the, the Nets organization mm. felt it would really be their undoing to have their best player play for the Knicks, and they're in the same market, and they're in the same market, and and you know that's how that's how he felt about it. So right, uh, you know, I don't know what the inside conversation was between uh, between them, uh, the Knicks. I think if um, if if that deal had been consummated, you know, people would still be talking about it today. Right. <laughs> the, you know, the history of both franchises. Well, the Nets history without me was going to be what it was. So we couldn't change that. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, so the Nets history was going to be what it was. Nick's history probably would be different by a play there. And Philly's history would be different. Right. You know, right. Uh, we went there and, and I, God's honest truth, uh, you know, I've second guessed it, but I've learned to live with it. Because <laughs> uh, first meeting with Pat Williams, he says, we got George McGinnis and we got Doug Collins. And now we have you. And he said, we do not need a 30 points a game scorer on this team. In order for this team to work or whatever, we need to have balance, offense, and good defense. <clears throat> and that was the way Gene Shue coached. And so, you know, it was the proverbial, you know, you got to tone it down. <laughs> Take some of the sauce off of it, whatever. Right. But it is, it wasn't, it wasn't that going to the NBA, I was playing with guys who were so much better that at the end of my 11 years, I had a 22 point average there versus a 28 point average in the ABA. It was by design that. Okay. That Doc, I, before, before coming on here, the last couple of days, I, I looked up how many columns I wrote about how angry I was that you were being being undermined. Your your ability was being undermined. You were being you know just told not to, and and I was angry at you for not for for going along with it. I felt that you were you know that you should have stood up to shoe. You should have stood up to Billy Cunningham. I didn't know that Pat Williams said that to you when you arrived. I never knew that until now. But 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 I just uh, I mean how many columns are how many times did your wife at the time turquoise knock Gene shoe outright? Yeah. What were you thinking? Well, what I was thinking, um, you know, I had MVPs, I had championships. I didn't have the NBA championship. I even made all NBA, the all-star game MVP first year there or whatever. I didn't have the NBA championship. So for us to go to the finals four times in seven years, that was our opportunity. And when you're winning, you, you learn not to complain. If we were losing, if we had losing records, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have complained. I would say, you know, y'all need to give me a ball or whatever. We had winning records, so we had I had winning records every year. I was there every year, went to the playoffs every year. So I, I think we were only contenders 
seven times out of the 11 years we weren't contenders there was four years where we we weren't contenders we was but we were spoilers doing then so and looking back on it you know i mean we got the title after three runner-ups and um you know it was i mean i i was a happy camper I you were happy. and i and i and i kind of when i when i look at uh you know what michael jordan did and uh, the battles, because uh, you know scoring thirty points a game what isn't that hard? You know, he, well, he broke it down. He said, for to score thirty-two points a game, he's got to score point eight points every quarter. Yeah, he told me. He told me that when he was coming out of retirement. <laughs> eight minutes, you should be able to score eight points. Right. So he, he, he would break it down like that. <laughs> that. That probably makes a lot of sense. Right. <laughs> Right, right, right. Um, I've got I've got three three years to discuss with you. Okay, starting starting with 77, 76, 77, Your first year with Philly, mm -hmm. you uh, you go to the championship against the Blazers, yeah. and you win the first two games, and you lose the next four. What <laughs> happened? Uh, I think a loss of focus, uh, getting out coached, and and basically getting outplayed. Uh, by a team that was inferior to us in terms of talent, one through twelve, but uh, they were <clears throat> they were more united in their approach. And I think, you know, I, I, I think that with the, with the with the Sixers and the roster that we had, <clears throat> there was an assumption made that we would be there perennially because the team was that deep and it was that good and the team was that young. And that certainly didn't happen. Right. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can count on one hand, I can count on one finger the guys who went back to the finals after that. And after that team, and, and it wasn't. Uh, who was it? Well, I went back to the finals. Yeah. Right. So, was there anyone else from that '77 team that went to the finals in '83 and won? Uh, no, 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 no. Pretty, pretty amazing. As you know, the the team. Uh, well, let me think. Caldwell and Darrell went back to the finals. They did. Okay. We, yeah, we we, uh, we had Caldwell and, and Darrell, and. Uh, McGinnis, McGinnis went for Bobby Jones. Who and Maurice? I mean, right. Know, it was it was a whole different roster when we won. Right. When we won, so 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 yeah, I was the only guy from that team. All right, Doc. So so that fight, that fight that took place in Game Two between uh, Dawkins and Lucas, and then spread out to everybody in in the arena. Basically, was on the floor. Everybody's brother was on the floor. <laughs> and. <laughs> like the record league again it's yeah yeah no no it's like the aba again actually <laughs> so yeah no after yeah, after a dunk of yours when everybody went out on the floor and started dancing but they would anyway um do you think that fight had anything to do with uh, the losses the four losses uh I, I think i think it lit a fire in portland and you know, I remember this uh, 
there was a practice session, a shoot around. And we were staying a little longer than our Their coach came in and told everybody to get out of the gym. <laughs> and you know, he 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 showed he showed something to his team that they weren't showing on the floor. Which was a brass pair of balls for one thing. <laughs> you know, uh, teams don't teams don't usually do that. You know, this was who did this? Gene Shue did this? No, no, their coach did it. Oh, their Ram coach did it. Yeah, Ram Jack Ramsey did it. Yeah, yeah, Jack Ramsey did it, and Jack Jack was like, "Really? Gotta get I never here. heard that. Guys, got to get out of here." And, oh. Damn, you know, and you know, I think we were still confident. We were still with each loss. We didn't really lose confidence, but we did lose focus. And some of the some of the meetings, some of the film sessions, whatever you know, I mean, I I wrote about it in the book, Peter. I, you should have read it because I said, man, when those lights went on, I I saw some guys yawning, you know, and it was like a WTF moment. <laughs> like, mm. What you know, we try to play for a championship, and you sleeping during the the filming. <laughs> And and Gene actually didn't didn't push back on that. And well, there was a lot of partying going on out there in Portland. I know. <laughs> so. Well, I, I mean the, the 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 you got two wins, then they get two, then we come back home. Yeah. Right. So you know we, you know we they so they won in game six, so the big thing was losing at home in game five. Yeah. You know, that probably was the biggest loss because we were in the game in, in game six and, you know, in, in the last play. Right. Can you go over that last play? Just give me give me the score and give me what was going on in the huddle, who wanted the ball, who was supposed so, to get the ball. Two, uh, we're down two, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, we, we, got, we got a lot of set plays. George has broken out of his slump. You know, he, he, had, he had a good game. Doug Collins is our best shooter by a lot. <laughs> I mean, he's like automatic from the, from the baselines, uh, whatever. So, so he, when we get over to the side, he's like, uh, set me up, I'll make the shot. You know, send the game in overtime. He says, set me up, I'll take, I'll take the shot. And Gene is like, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. <laughs> and who is more? World be free? We're going to run the play for George. Oh, <laughs> so everybody in, in that huddle. I mean, that was like a moment. You know, it's, it's like, we we love George, but it was a love-hate relationship because we didn't like his shot. And, <laughs> and, and he had played well. I had 40 already. So I'm not going to say how I played, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, the chains were off. It was just like, you know, I'm running through these guys like crazy, and you know, but they're still running their little pick and roll stuff and back doors and Walton is being Bill Walton or whatever. <laughs> so, 
I was like, why didn't he call this play for Doug or me? <laughs> you know, and let me create something or whatever. So we call the play. I, I just see that ball today hitting the back of the rim, bouncing up. And, you know, Gene, I said, well, George is going to take the shot. You guys crash the boards. Now, that sentence doesn't work. <laughs> but that means, <laughs> that means you're going to miss the shot. Right? <laughs> it's just crash the boards. Crash the boards. I mean, run, run back on defense. Take the shot, run back on defense. Crash the boards. So, um, yeah, that hurt. I mean, uh, when I saw Walton grab that rebound and, you know, hold it up and take his shirt off and whatever, you know, that was like, okay, this is just my first year in the, <laughs> in the NBA. Time to go back to the so, Nets. So, uh, you know, but well, it was the first year. So th we did feel like we were going to have other chances and we were going to have, you know, I mean, everybody to a man felt we were going to have chances because they were like a low seed that beat everybody out West. Right. The team that came, they got red hot and rolling at the right time and they beat everybody and they have, they, you know, they, uh, I think they went back with Clyde and they played Michael. Uh, right. Twice. But, but uh, doc, that, that next year they went 50 and 10 and then Walton got hurt. And that was the end of that team. Yeah. But let me, let me just stop you and say, I remember walking around Portland before game six and it was raining of course it rained the whole time we were out there except on the day of the game the day, game six it was sunny as anything so i'm yeah. walking around portland with your wife at the time turquoise yeah. and linda mcginnis yeah and linda mcginnis said to me she said peter this town is in a worse slump than george's <laughs> Oh, I never forgot that one. That's cool. Yeah. Did, did, did she eventually get a job at the Chamber of Commerce? <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, I, I must say she she recently died, and uh, I I saw her at the uh, at the um, reunion that we had in Indiana, Indiana, the fifty year reunion. I spoke to her at length out there, and she was sick at the time. But poor Linda, she she denied ever saying that to me. <laughs> Uh, I, I did not say that. <laughs> so, so what did Turquoise have to say about me? <laughs> while you while you were getting the scoop. <laughs> yeah, I you know that's the thing. People people think scoop, man. because because you and I were tight. Yeah. People think you gave me stuff. You gave me nothing. You gave me great quotes, but uh, you never gave me inside stuff. Was, Your wife gave me everything. <laughs> I was. Uh, I tried to always be honest. I tried to be an honest guy. You know? Right. And, I got great quotes from you, but you didn't but, give me any inside locker room or huddled stuff. You gave me more today than I got the whole time covering you. You're right. And I'm aware of it, too. <laughs> we were both in our 70s now, right? <laughs> 75, I'm 71. No, I'm 77, my friend. <laughs> Seven, all right. So you got me by six years. And yeah. Brian's got you by two years because he's 79. <laughs> but uh, who cares, right? No, you're right. Doc, let's let's move it's, on to another. I want to ask you about another series, okay? I care less about what people think. At a, at no, a, of course. Time well, I, never, I never did, Doc. So I here we are. A whole lot about what people thought, you know? 
Right. Doc, let me let me go let me go to nineteen eighty. Okay. And ask you about game six, which I'm sure you've been asked a million times. Yeah. How in the world did that happen? Magic Johnson rookie playing playing center because Kareem is, is home in LA with a sprained ankle. You're you're in Philly, figuring you're gonna go back for game seven, not even sure that he was gonna play in game seven. What happened in game six? Um I think first he jumped center. He didn't play center. <laughs> so he played point guard. Right. But he, but he jumped center to begin of the game. Right. Yeah, that, that really shouldn't have had any effect on us. I mean, I think I think we were so programmed, you know, and you know, we were playing a little bit of North Carolina basketball, I guess, <laughs> whatever. Um, and, and, and we played a team that we had not seen before. You know, when you, when you, here's what happens. And it happens in the league all the time. You know, when a player gets hurt, a significant player gets hurt and the other team adjusts their roster and maybe they keep the bench the same and they pick a guy and say, well, you're going to start, but the bench is the same. So the rotations are the same. You're, you're playing a team for the first time. So when we played game five in Philly, that was not the team we played the last four games. Mm -hmm. And they got us because we, you know, it was we almost, I mean, we didn't know what hit us. We were going, uh, this was game six. Uh, you know, we're trying to get to a seventh game and we're running our same stuff and we got our same rotations and we got, you know, three centers, you know, by committee with uh, Daryl and, and uh, Caldwell and Harvey Catchings, and you know that was that was uh, you know that was when um, there I guess we had you know one more shot at it with that particular team, but you know that was that was crazy. I mean it was Magic's coming out party, and you know he he has talked about it. We've sat down, and he's he's talked about it. he he didn't know what to expect either. He figured he didn't have anything to lose. And you know, sometimes when you play, right, it's a team with nothing to lose versus a team with a lot to lose. The pressure's on the team with a lot to lose, especially right. at home court, and people are expecting you to win. So I think that's what happened. Um, and you know, looking back on it, could you have done anything differently? Maybe we could have done some things differently, but we cannot deny the fact that that team only played like that for one game and only had to play like that for one game. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, do you remember, you remember magic statistics in that? Like they kind of like stayed. 40, 42 points. I know that. And, and uh, 15 assists. 15. Yeah. And, and Wilkes and Wilkes had 37 and, and 10 rebounds. Very overlooked. You know, his, 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 and then after the game, after the game, we went back to your apartment. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was with, I was with my, my wife and, uh, or my girlfriend at the time. And no, it was my wife at the time. And, um, Teddy Pendergrass was there mm -hmm. and, uh, and Lynn Swan was there. Yeah. So the, there were like eight of us there. Yeah. Friends, uh, you know, I mean, I had good friends in Philly, uh, LT Brinkley. You know, friends who weren't 
uh, entertainers or athletes. Uh, Grover was, of course, a great entertainer and, you know, spent quality time uh, over the years. Teddy, um, Gladys Knight. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's it's about people when you're in a city. It's not really about the buildings and the structures. Do I miss Philly? I miss the people who, who I got along with and who spent quality time with. I loved going there with you to Philly. I loved Philly. That was pretty cool. He turned you on to some good things. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Even, <laughs> even, when I, even when I talk to my kids, Jay and, and uh, Jazz and Chao or whatever, you know, they, they talk very uh, openly and honestly about Philly, you know, being a, a great part of their life and meaningful to them. They all live in Los Angeles right now. Right. right. <laughs> in Los Angeles. So how how the heck did that happen? Yeah. Are they Laker fans? <laughs> uh, no, Jay's a Clipper fan. Oh, okay. Butter's a big time Clipper fan. She's a, you know, she's a baller. Uh, Good. Baller. And, and, uh, but they, but they got Clippers season tickets, you know, so. Okay. They didn't fall into the, the, the Lakers trap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doc, one more, one more game before we move on out of here. Yeah. 1984, you're the defending champions. Yeah. And you play the Nets in the first round. Yeah. And each team does not win a game on its own home court. Yeah. And now you got game five in Philly. And yeah. you said what? A guarantee. I was like Charles Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> this damn game, right? <laughs> but you know what? I was I was severely hurt during that time. I had like a pulled groin muscle and I was getting treatment from Al Domenico and Fritz Massman. And I, you know, they, they were, they were, they were trying to keep me out there and I, and I played, but uh, literally I, I think I pulled it, uh, you know, near the end of the season. I probably should have sat that whole series out. I mean, if they had load management back then, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they had load management, I, I would have taken my chances and stayed on the sideline and, you know, just let the team go. And they would have been looking at a different team, you know, and, and right. we had adequate backup guys. And we were, uh, I think we were, we were better than them uh, on paper. But that Michael Ray Richardson, man. <laughs> Had a great series, yeah. That guy, man, that guy, he's, he, he's always been, you know, a, a, an unstoppable force because he just, you know, he doesn't know what he's gonna do. So what, right. how do you know what he's gonna do? Right. And, and I went over to Europe and, and played in the summer with him when we did a barnstorming tour with uh, Tiny and John Williamson and a couple of big guys. Uh, and he he just played like that. I mean, I, he was he was he he was phenomenal. And he was. Phenomenal. You remember my nickname for him? It uh, just. It, it is exactly what you just said. My nickname for him was the Disoriented Express. <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea what he was going to do. That's funny because that's my nickname for you. <laughs> I'm a local. I'm a local. I'm not an express. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was such an odd series, too, because nobody won a home game. And we had home court advantage. You know, yeah. Supposedly, that's supposed to be your advantage. And, you know. Five game series. I just think that um, uh, 83 for us, 
I mean, that was, it was a seven year chase. You know, we got it, we celebrated. And, you know, the whole idea of, we weren't even having these discussions like the teams do now when they win the championship, we're going to win it next year. And we went back to back three in a row. Excuse me one second. Oh, one battery charge. That type of discussion. Or that I don't even think. Then when Moses got traded for Jeff Rulin. Right. Right. That, uh, yeah, that, was, that was, you know, that was he and Harold Katz uh, having odds with one another or his agent and Harold. Right. You know, because they they always had a little beef going on, and uh, you know, my personally, my thought about the championship, I could have, I could have gone to Utah, and you know, tried to bring them over the top with Carter coming in and and uh, Stockton and that team. I could have gone to the Clippers. Uh, they were looking for a star. And they, did either one of them come close? Um, no, but I went to visit Utah and I, I did, I had a meeting, uh, with the ownership group in, in Utah, but I never, never, uh, never took the Clippers thing seriously. Um, and, you know, and you know what, Peter, it was interesting because, uh, I go back to, you know, my middle school days. So I did a K through eight, right. And then at Roosevelt, I did three years, uh, uh, ten, nine, ten. Or ninth year was middle school. Then 10, 11, 12 was high school. Three years of college, two years in Virginia, three years in New York, and then Philly. You know that was that was home, and I, I was meant to be in one place those eleven years. And after those eleven years, it was time to move on and do whatever you're going to do with the rest of your life. So. Right. Two year stint somewhere, or another one year, or three year stint somewhere, it didn't jive with me at all, you know. Right, you know, Doc. I I once asked Will Chamberlain uh, what was his biggest disappointment in his career, and I thought he was going to talk about the losses to the Celtics, mm-hmm. and he shocked me by saying the biggest disappointment was losing to North Carolina in triple overtime for the championship. When he was in Kansas, what what about what about you? What what was your biggest? Do you have a biggest disappointment in your career? Just a career? Yeah. Um. I mean, you know the the Portland the Portland situation ranks right up there. If if I was going to name one or two or five uh, situations, uh, you know, losing to Portland. Uh, when we did, um, I, I felt less. I felt less bad about, you know, losing to Los Angeles, um, and you know, I, the whole idea of winning and losing. I mean, you know, it's, it, that does, doesn't dictate my life. It doesn't make, you know, me wake up every morning and feel happier or sadder. Uh, because I won or I lost, you know, I, I think I learned uh, very early, you know, I, in, in the Salvation Army, we had like a 47 game winning streak. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And then we lost. Yeah. How are you supposed to feel now? Who, who broke it? Austin Carr? <laughs> <laughs> and well, 
you got to just play the next game, you know. Well, there was no next game. <laughs> Sometimes there is no next game. <laughs> but with the Salvation Army, there was a next. There was a yeah. next, and a next game and a next game. Right. And whatever. So, yeah, this just part of uh, sports and my sports career, or whatever. I try not to let it be dictatorial, in terms of my sense of worth or my happiness. Doc. What are you most proud of? Now you can you could take it off off your career and just in your life. What what makes you most proud? So the the the, the people that with the assistance of uh, the women in my life, you know, people that I've been able to bring into the world. Uh, you know, I, I look at that. I, you know, I know. You know, my uh, oldest son, Cheo, who. I adopted, you know, has had a rough go, uh, but Julius has done very well. Jasmine has done very well. Uh, you know, I look at uh, Jules is a senior in college now. He's getting ready to graduate from Cal Berkeley. Justin's down at Florida Atlantic University. He's a sophomore. And I have Julieta here at home, and she's in a, she's in a, a boarding school situation as a sophomore in high school. And whatever, so so you know, to be a parent, be responsible for bringing them into the world and bringing them along to the point that they are now, and then being here and having their back without having to do everything for them, but making them feel like they need to do for themselves, and they know that I will I will help you be a better you. Uh, I, I feel real good about that. You know, I, I didn't have that uh, when I was growing up because my mom and dad were separated and, uh, and my father, you know, later uh, died while I was young before my teenage years. And mom had to do a whole lot by, by herself and carry the load and carry the weight by herself. So I had surrogate people like Don Ryan and like... Uh, Salvation Army. Oh, yeah. he was Don Ryan was a Salvation Army. Uh, Earl Mosley, Chuck McElwain, and Ray Wilson. Those were my high school coaches, my sophomore, my freshman coach, my JV coach, and my varsity coach. And uh, you know, old people as mentors in my life and role models uh, for me. Uh, you know, they helped to shape and mold me, and I'm I'm forever indebted. I think. Uh, I, there was one time when I had a dinner and I had 30 or more influencers. It was right there in Hempstead at that Marriott. Influencers, people who were either coaches, trainers, or assistant coaches. I had them all in the same room. And it was it was amazing. Wow. So it was just that, that collection of people wow. who were brought together. And I said, they'll never be together again. They're all here, you know, because I want them to be here, and they all have played a role in terms of me being who I am. Beautiful. Now, Doc, I'm going to do something that you know. I, again, we didn't talk about what I'm going to what a, I'm going to ask you in these in, in this talk, but I'm going to bring something up, and uh, if it's out of line, I apologize. But I, I just think that people should know about this. In 1976 or 77, I wrote a story about you. And uh, I found it the other day, looking looking up stuff, and I found it. And if you don't 
you can just indulge me. I'm going to read some of it, okay? Okay. And then, and then I'm going to let you comment, okay? So it's going to be a little bit, though, okay? So your brother, Marvin, yep. Marvin Benson Irving, died when you were a freshman at the UMass. At UMass, he died of lupus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Marvin. So yeah. we we talked about that, and you said, "quote It has been the only thing in my life that humbled me, that made me weak." powerless and hurt but instead of folding up now that that's the end of the quote instead of folding up and feeling sorry for yourself you decided right then and there to make something out of yourself make something out of the Irving name that's what you told me and that's part of the drive that's in me you you said and where it came from so after after he died you said you stopped fearing death do you remember this interview mm-hmm mm-hmm you stopped fearing death. You realized that you had no control over it. So why lose sleep worrying about it? Mm-hmm. You theorized that if he died, he would you. If you died, you would simply be joining your brother. That if death was good enough for him, that it was good enough for you. And this is a quote: "By eliminating the fear, I became a much stronger person. It also increased my threshold for pain tremendously." I've got a great tolerance for pain, mentally as well as physically. That was the lowest part of my life. I cried and cried and cried all my tears. And that was in 1969. Mm-hmm. So my, my question to you is, since then, mm-hmm. your sister Alexis, she died at 37. You, told, you, you mentioned that she moved to Atlanta to live in that apartment with her two sons. And I believe one still works with you, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. His name? Barry. Barry. And 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 so you lost you lost your sister to cancer. Yeah. And then and then in Orlando, you lost your son Corey to to an auto accident. He went into a pond and and they didn't you didn't find him for weeks. So my question is like what what is your reaction now? What about the tears now? What about has it affected you any differently death? You know, I mean it's a lot to throw at you. Yeah. But for it. there it is. I'm ready. I'm ready, willing and able. You know, the uh with with Marvin uh so Marvin wasn't first, you know, I had cousins who passed before him and we went to the funerals and you know, when you have a father with 11 brothers and sisters and a mother with 14 children uh, in her family and you have these experiences early in life and often. So, so when Marvin passed uh, and I was a freshman in college and, you know, Leon and I, you know, just came, we had just been home for spring break. He was sick. Um, I didn't know how sick I go back to school and almost two days, I mean, it was like two days, I turn around and come back, uh, back home. And Leon, you know, who was high school, we, we drove, we drove right past uh, Mercy Hospital and we got to the house and we got in there and everybody was crying and sad. And, and I was like, oh man, this, you know, this time it's, it's no joke. So, <clears throat> so losing him, finding that he had lupus erythematosus, something I'd never heard about. And 
you know, he had been sickly all his life with asthma and pneumonia. And he had, had always, it was always something uh, with him. And, you know, when the Lord called him home, you know, they, we had an autopsy and found out that it was lupus. So, you know, I became a nice lifelong advocate for the cause in terms of lupus research uh, from what happened to him. The, the, the things that I was telling you, uh, how it changed me and made me, uh, you know, now my brother was going to where my father had gone. And I, even though I didn't know him well, I had seen him a few times, and, and but I can't say that I knew him. Uh, you know, I felt like I had the strength of two family members in anything that I did. Like I had my, my father's giving me his strength and my brother giving me his, his strength. And they're not here to represent, so I needed to represent them. So, so I took that attitude, and my tears dried up because I I did boohoo for a long time, and right up until the time we put dirt on him in in, in that cemetery in Rockville Center, and um, and and I my nothing would make me cry. I mean, I was I was like a hardened soul, and about two years, Pete, I would say, I would say 71, my favorite uncle died and his name was uh, Uncle Bronson, Philip Brunson Abney. And, you know, so he was on my mother's side of the family, was my, my mother's youngest brother. He died and while I was sitting there at that funeral, I, you know, I, I walked in, cold stare, you know, I hadn't planned on crying. I don't even think I brought a handkerchief. And halfway through that service, I was reaching for tissues. And the tears were coming. And I realized after that how important it is to cry. <clears throat> and how, how it allows you to let it out. And it's a relief to uh, to be able to cry so that what I had promised myself, I had to go back on. And I've been a crybaby ever since then, man. <laughs> I, well, I was watching Cool Runnings and when the sled broke up, when they were coming down the hill, it <laughs> broke up. I'm reaching for the tissues, you know? <laughs> yeah. So in other situations, you know, with, with Alexis and... Uh, and, and well, oh, I loved I loved Alexis. Yeah, Rory and Marvin. Yeah. You know, we've we've lost a lot of people. I mean, I, I I'm kind of like the last surviving member from the immediate family, and there's there's a reason for it. Uh, it's it's divine. Uh, I don't have control over it, but I just have to keep breathing and keep on, you know, dealing with the next generation because the generations before me. You know, there's only a few of them left, and they're aunts and uncles, uh, but no immediate uh, brother and sister. And then there's, you know, then there's the surrogate brother and sister. I have a guy here named Peter Corey. We have the same birthday, and February 22nd, he's he's uh, 53. You know, so he's a lot younger than me, but he's. I feel like like I felt with my brother. You know with him and to have that right 
that's that's very special because uh, that's not automatic. That's not automatic. Have somebody you can call night or day. I mean, when I when I but doc doc as terrible as terrible it was to lose your father, who you know yeah. you were eleven, you hardly knew him. Yeah. Lose both siblings. Yeah. What what about when Corey died? I mean that that has to go to a whole new depth. And it and it does. And 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 I drew I drew strength for the surviving children, for Cheo and Jay and Jasmine, because I said they're experiencing what I experienced when I was when I was their age. Mm. Uh, I was young, under twenty five, let's say. And, you know, Corey was 19, <clears throat> so they were 25 or under, and that was their little brother. So I, I, I rounded up a way to just be strong in front of them, be strong in front of the media, you know, that was uh, covering it, the press that was covering it, uh, the, the, the uh, magic organization, you know, I mean, we had searches for him. And, so many people volunteered. Wesley Snipes called up to me. I need to send my people down there, and find him and find out what's going on. You know, it's it was this. I heard from uh, I heard from uh, uh, Bill Clinton on two different occasions. Uh, um, Larry, guy with Larry Show, uh, and and yeah, so it was that. I mean that was that was the worst. That was that was so hard, and you know when we had the service, uh, Oprah came in, and you know people from just from around the world who were my personal supporters, who you know who felt bad and felt and felt as though we needed that type of uh, support and response, and. Um, yeah, so it, it was the hardest thing. And I, I think the thing that kept me together was the other three children um, making sure that, that they could see me be strong in the eye of the storm. Right. Doc, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this uh, with a quote of yours from that same article, okay? Okay. And then I'm, I'm just going to make a comment after it. But I, I really want to thank you for coming on. And uh, we we haven't done this in a long time, but I'm going to hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, we made up for a lot of lost time. Well, I'll say so. Here's, here's your quote from the end of that article. It's the closing quote. You said people always ask me if there was one gift you could give someone, what would it be? And my answer is that I would love nothing more than to share what I have today with my brother. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure that goes double for your sister and your son. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Doc. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure, sir. Thank you, guys. All right. Good luck with the podcast, man. Keep it okay. going. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Doc. Yeah. You, all you have to do is be yourself. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, as Billy Pauls used to say, no. I'll see you all of a sudden. <laughs> all right, guys. Take, Take care. care. God bless. Thank you for listening to Hoop Du Jour with moi, Peter Vesey, and column castigator Frank Drucker. You can listen to all Hoop Du Jour interviews by searching Legends Studios wherever you get your podcasts.